All right, everybody, just want to let you know that you can see me at Twin Cities Con this year, November 11th, 12th, and 13th. I will have a table, I'll be selling my comic books, my artworks, and be selling my graphic novel, The Noir, The Green Way. Come see me. Um, look at the link down below to get your tickets early for discounts. Hope to see you there. And once again, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. All right. We have Joshua. Uh, Joshua knows it's dedication time. So what would you like to dedicate the show to before we begin? To all the struggling filmmakers who want to quit. Really? Yeah. And there's a bunch we know. There's a lot of them. Yeah. So not to quit and to just keep going. Thank you. Yes. I absolutely agree. Keep going. Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. Paul Filmcast with your host, Nick Palatichuk. Each episode, Nick interviews filmmakers and other artists from the Twin Cities area. I'm Carly Palillo, and thanks for listening, and thanks for finding us. Please give us a review, and feel free to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And now, lights, camera, action. All right, we're back on the St. Paul Filmcast. Um, today, I'm with... Joshua Ungaretti. Ungaretti. Hi, Josh. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? This is actually a return, but this is the first time we're doing it in person because Correct. the last time you were here on the show was a while ago. You were on your way to edit Danny's Game. Yes. You were on the way to editing, and so we, we did a car ride interview. Yep. Very director kind yep. of thing. <laughs> right? It was fun. So, so it's nice to have you in studio. Um, before we begin, I'll let you know that I will be at Alloy Brewery this Saturday, selling my artworks and shows. Alloy Brewery, it's in Coon Rapids, uh, Minnesota, and Coon Rapids Boulevard. Uh, put the website down below, check us out. I will be with there with the authors Danny Swanson and Jessica Joy. So it's a Minnesota showcase. Uh, if you're interested, this Saturday, if you catch it, um, October 22nd. So, But let's welcome Josh, Joshua. So, Thank you for having me. It's, it's good to be back. It's going to be tough because I always... It's, I would imagine a reflex always go to Josh. So no problem. You call me, I go by Josh. All right, all right. In all right. my household, everyone calls me Joshua. Okay. My mom, my dad, you know, grandparents. So I just want to follow up, um, just because I, the last time we had a show, you were actually in, per, you know, the production of Danny's Game. Yep. And so uh, what's the what's happening now with it? I mean, it was being presented over. I know in Europe, you had it showing in Europe. Yep. It. Um, Got international releases in Europe, um, Asia, and the Middle East. We got into a few territories. Um, Wonderful. Yep. Canada, just a northern brother. Uh, we shot it in 18. It got released in 2020. It did. It's making money. Not as much as we'd probably like, but it's doing fine. It's tough. It, it is tough, full, especially for a full feature. The most shocking thing is the amount of people who kept illegally downloading it and the amount of, um, yeah, illegal downloads or, um, cop piracy or whatever you call it. I, that was probably the most bizarre thing. I don't, people just, actually making physical pirate copies. Yeah. I've seen it. I've, um, DVDs and like these fake mock posters in other countries. It's, it was bizarre. I, I never dreamt some micro indie film from the Twin Cities was going to be illegally downloaded and pirated right. around the world. But I, it has to be kind of unusual. 
Yeah, it's like it sucks because they're not making money off. It's it's (laughs) illegal, but it's almost like I'm kind of like, yeah, you kind of like, well, hey, people are willing to break the law to see my movie kind (laughs) of makes you feel good in the reverse way. But it's like, hey, and there's a um, we showed it at work. Um, I work full time as an underwriter and one of the coworkers has like this like fire stick ask where you can like watch everything. It's illegal. Right. It's like an illegal magic jack stick. I don't know what it is, but he's like, should we see if people have been like using this to illegally watch Danny's game? And sure enough, there were, and he goes, that's kind of cool. I'm like, yeah, I <laughs> guess like, I mean, at the end of the day, music and movies are meant to be seen right. and heard. And it's interesting because it's like, well, so what if you made $50,000 on the movie, but only five people saw it? How would that make you feel? It's like, well, it, it would feel good and bad because it's like, well, I made my money, but no one saw it. So yeah. it's kind of a hollow victory. And it's the dichotomy and the apparatus of the industry is ever changing. And it still somewhat perplexed me, yet it's so basic at the same time. Well, let's do. Where can people find it legitimately? Right oh, yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. Okay, I think it's on um, what used to be IMDb Free is now rebranded as Freebie. It's on yeah. there. It's on uh, YouTube for purchasing. I think on if you have a Prime membership, you can watch it. You may need to buy or rent it now, but on most generic platforms excuse me yeah you can watch i mean it's not like on netflix or showtime or stars but it's on prime for purchase or rent um it's on like xbox playstation um yeah it's on all those so it's accessible for those different legitimately right yeah Yeah. but it's kind of weird to see it it's like well i made this and somebody's actually pirating it so it's like yeah it's kind of weird right and we told the product the excuse me, not the production company, but the distribution company. And they tried, but there's only so much you can do. I mean, when they're they're out of jurisdiction, like someone in Azerbaijan is pirating your movie, you're not much you can do. So other than you hope they watch it and (laughs) give a good review at that (laughs) point. But, you know. So I know you were kind of entertaining the idea for kind of a sequel kind of thing for Danny's Game. Is that still kind of on the I, thing? There's or is this- like I, I have like a 40, 50 pages that I wrote yeah. like in three days. And then it's it's both a sequel and a prequel. So it it shows how the character Danny Bishop kind of became whom he is, what happened. And then it's a sequel where if you have seen the film, and if not, no worries, where... Um, you think that one of the characters' moms, um, or Lisa's character, who has a mom, you think she's um, dead or passed away, but actually she is alive, and then she comes back, the okay. mom, who's actually a much, much more of a major force than that of Alex, who's the main villain antagonist. She's way worse than her. And there was this whole kind of setup where Danny was kind of 
going to run things, but then he didn't want to, and he left, and then the mom disappeared, and then she comes back um, to help lure Danny into this other sheen where he gets recruited by the FBI to help um, basically tank a um, illegal like mobster poking game, poker game. Okay. So he gets like hired as like a like um, the FBI basically hires him. He goes to Vegas to help overthrow a poker ring to help the FBI. And of yeah. course, you know, Danny kind of goes to the beat of his own drum. But what happens is the mom comes back and basically forces him to oblige and do it. So it's both a sequel and a prequel. It's right. You got to merge a little bit. Yeah, more. kind of a, kind of expanding the mythology a little bit too. Pretty much, and it opens up the universe more. And then also it it um, similar structure or story structure and act structure uh, that of Godfather Part Two. Which, I get it. Yeah, which is both a prequel and a sequel. Right. Yeah. So do you have a title for it, or are we just kind of still untitled or work uh, in progress? It was called Sonic Boom, but I pretty much shelved it just because. Right. I don't right. think. Yeah. I'm not saying right to right. <laughs> it was called Sonic Boom because what he did in the the previous film kind of shook up big, the whole process, right? Yep, yeah, and then everyone heard, and then it kind of rippled around, and then therefore he gets yanked back into more nonsense. So, so I know from last year um, you're working on another script. Yeah, yeah. So um, I believe the title is Mother's Day. Right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And you actually had a read through at Twin Cities Film Fest with it. Yeah, at the Actors Expo. Um, oh, the Actors Expo last yep, year. Yeah. Last, not this, not this um, summer, but the summer before, so 2021. Yeah, I just missed it. I was I went to the Actors Expo, but I just missed it by an hour. Too. Yeah, I was at the end. You know. <laughs> yeah. So um, with Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you just want to just give a little synopsis, yeah, it's, just to give a little bit of a kernel, so yeah, it's similar genre, kind of a dark comedy heist caper film. It is the lead character is Violet Voltaire, who's in her late forties, early fifties. She's a middle aged mom, a working class, more of like a blue collar criminal. Okay, and she just got out of jail and she yanks her son who's her kind of um comedy relief sidekick he's kind of a dipshit <laughs> and they um find out that there's buried treasure beneath a stunt school okay um and in order to break ground to get into the vault beneath the stunt school she joins the stunt school so she moonlights as a um stunt performer in order to oh. score it yeah all right so it's kind of, it's a very Hollywood kind of Guy Ritchie type of thing. I mean, it's, there's a, uh, a vault was lost in an earthquake beneath ground from the fifties with Mickey Cohen. Okay. And then there's kind of cash and coins and then they dig under there and they find it and a bunch of nonsense happens and so forth. But it's a little, because you and I both share the same premise, like, like Elmore Leonard kind of a stuff. So oh, yeah, it's like Elmore it's, Leonard. Yeah. It's, um, I didn't even think about this, which is sad, because I actually saw it in theaters with my dad and my brother. So I was explaining, I was kind of pitching it to my friend Paris, and he goes, so it's kind of like Blue Streak. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of the same thing where he's a jewel thief and he he is about to get caught 
but then he stashes the jewel underground in this building. And then when he gets out of jail, he remembers the exact address and coordinates and he goes back and it's a police station they built. So in order for him to get to that diamond, he joins the fort, the police force. So it's in the same vein of sorts, except it's um, a middle-aged woman, which obviously you don't see a lot of older. No, usually Robert Caper stuff is kind of, you know, like Feath with Michael Mann. It's James Conn or um, bank robberies. Even with the out of sight, it's more like George Clooney being chased by Jennifer Lopez. But I like that. Yeah, very out of sight feel it's very uh situation dialogue driven um character exploration type of thing right yeah how did you come about writing this how did it just pop in your brain or were you how did it took a while it took like three years to write the script and there were different drafts and then i guess i was like well i wrote one script so and once you do it and you get it done that's the most important thing is just doing it and is get out there make the movie write the script don't make any excuses and that way you have some type of calling card or leverage hopefully for your next film so far that hasn't really worked out but i just wanted to write something really fun and cool and that would get people to the theater and you need to be observing and you see what the studios and indie studios are making and well, what can I add that one ups them, but is still like plausible. And then you kind of, well, what are some contemporary issues in cinema? Well, obviously women don't get paid nearly as men, um, especially older women. I mean, you just on indie wire, I believe Naomi Watts said, and a producer said to her when she turned 40, like your status is going to drop because you're no longer, um, uh, what, I'm not going to say what she said or what the producer said, but basically that you're not that, in the market. Yeah. Yeah. Your value drops because your overall physical essence is not what it used to be because of your age. And therefore due to that, you're not going to be as making as much and your career will teeter down because in so many words, the, the industry does still kind of sexualize individuals and that sex does sell and will that will always be the case, which it is what it is. It's, I, I understand it. I think to a certain point it gets a little... But you can challenge it. Yeah. And in Mother's Day, I'm not... We're not like like sexualizing the mom or anything. Like it's just a very... Good old, very simple process of yeah, just putting putting the female character where you just see the guy. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> right? yeah. And yeah, I, no one really knows why. Um, I saw an, an interview with Thomas Jane where he goes like historically, even now, um, women leads do not from this. They, they've run all the data on this, the algorithms where yeah, female leads do not bring in as much box office bang allegedly but no one knows why more than likely it's because well if you're never giving them the opportunity naturally right you know so so it is supposed to kind of upset the establishment in a sense which um 
I've always been a bit of a boat rock. I don't think that'll change. <laughs> but a lot of them do these test surveys. Mm-hmm. They ask people on the street, what would you like to see? And it's always based on previous experiences, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I like that movie. And, you know, So they're like, well, let's make that because that's what people want to see. They never talk about something they've never seen before. Right. And my case in point is nobody ever asked for Star Wars. But when they got it, they, yeah, what's the first thing they asked for? Exactly. You yeah. can't. I remember like Christopher Nolan said something about Stanley Kubrick where it's satisfying a palette that has not yet been established. Right, yeah. It's or something like you that. You and I both like to entertain those ideas. Like what's has never been done before? Yeah, what's something we can you I don't get any satisfaction copying what's already going around. Like I don't really yeah, I want to be independent of everything most of the time. I don't feel the need to really copy anyone or I just would like to be the most independent. Um, Usually have your own style. Yeah. Yeah. Usually and, when I critique other people's writing, that's the first thing. I have like a little checklist and mm-hmm. that's have you figure out your own style because you're um, another thing is, are you writing safe? I don't want to see you write safe. I want you to challenge yourself for these characters, right? And, and then, Violet's yeah. a challenging. She's a spitfire woman. I don't really want to. <laughs> she's not afraid to tell you how you feel. It's kind of based off of my own relationship with my own mom, who is more of my older sister at times than my my mom. Like she would prank phone call me at work sometimes, or she drove me and my brother to Wisconsin. <laughs> To get fireworks, and we would stop at the McDonald's and put the fireworks in McDonald's bag in case, like, the state trooper stopped us. So, very um, gregarious. Unorthodox. Yes. Unorthodox, yeah. 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 So, I think, right, especially when you're writing, and a lot of people think that just it's just a process you just sit down and write, but you have to kind of have a core of what you want. Mm Mm-hmm. And which is usually my experience with writing is sometimes I think what I what the story is going to be never turns out that way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Usually my lead character and I start writing with that, it never becomes that focal point. Then I realize, oh crap, it's these two people, rather than. But I just started the process, get that out there first. Yeah. And also I like to talk about like you know Emma Leonard said, especially with you, we both like Emma Leonard, but he goes, nobody wants to read a book about the happy little elves who pay their taxes on time. Right. <laughs> we want to see characters that are kind of out there. Yeah, yeah. she's an anti-hero, which I'm drawn to. Character studies of anti anti-heroes, particularly in the US, will always, always. be yeah. good because at the end of the day, I think at times, the United States is the hero, and at times, the kind of anti-hero as well. And um, well, yeah, Batman is the epitome of an anti-hero. He yeah. behaves like a criminal. Mm-hmm. He's not really part of the system. He's an outlaw. He breaks into homes. He's vigilante. He's vigilante. Doesn't answer to anyone. Yeah, and he behaves like a criminal. He dresses like a com- criminal. Yeah. People s- attach bats as a demonic thing. Mm-hmm. And he's and he knows he's not a hero. He's looking for somebody else to be a heroic person. He's just wants to be in the shadows. Wants to be in the shadows and beat you till he gets tired and goes home. Yeah. So we always appreciate kind of the anti-hero. Yeah. I mean, even the Maltese Falcon with Humphrey Bogart is an anti-hero. Yeah, in like Michael Corleone and Jake LaMotta in you know Raging Bull and I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Terms of Endearment. Oh, yeah, many years ago. Like, but uh, Aurora Greenway, played by Shirley MacLaine, is sort of like 
that kind of um, in-your-face attitude of Shirley MacLaine is kind of what inspired Violet too. And I think I don't think Shirley MacLaine's character in that is necessarily anti-hero, but sometimes you watch it, she's very blunt. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah, I don't know if she's a hero per se, but well, it's that honesty projection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the way it is, right? Yeah, and sometimes I, I do like writing characters, and sometimes they it's almost like do they recognize they're in a story? It's almost that self consciousness. Sometimes right. you see characters like do they know they're in a script? Right, buy into the imagination or s- right. sort of. It's almost like conscientious character. It's almost, well, I have to go back. Like I think Commissioner Gordon almost feels like he knows he's in a story. Right. He, just, he does. He's kind of mediator that I'm not going to, all right, I kind of know what, like, almost like he regurgitates the lines, but he almost feels like he's the conscientious character throughout. Pretty or much. Or could probably tell Alfred, but he's more of an assistant. Mm-hmm. Than I think so, yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's very interesting. You can use leverage for different characters. And you always my favorite value for writing is contrast. I love contrast. I think everybody appreciates contrast. I like so. contrast and interesting juxtapositions. Right. Well, you just mentioned like in Mother's Day, you have this mom who's very unorthodox and just likes to maybe have fun, just have fun. Right. And she doesn't obey the rules. But then you have this clumsy son. Like, how did I produce yeah. this? It's Yeah. That is kind of almost like a disappointment that she he doesn't probably get it, and that's a huge contrast. Yep, and, and the fact she's a criminal and a mom and kind of sophisticated can figure out even though yeah. she got caught. And um, there's a scene in the script. I'm if any moms are listening, or there's a book called "I Love You Forever," which is like um, a a love letter between all moms and sons, and that's something a book my mom bought. And um, I don't know if you've heard of it. If you see no, the never bo- heard of this. Okay. If you see the book cover, I think you might be like, "Oh, I've seen this. Okay. I remember it." All right. um, so st- I'm going to stop, and then no, no, okay. I'm not <laughs> um, but if there's a really good scene where she finds that, and she it like moms, no matter how, no matter if they're criminals or not, they still. I'm sorry, moms are just very nostalgic, and they. Yeah. See like a their old baby clothes or a book, and they start crying. It's like, oh, Jesus Christ! But, <laughs> um, but there's a scene in that, and it she is at the end of the day still a core is a mom. She's just a different kind of mom, and hopefully, it's it's meant for moms. It's it takes place. It's a holiday movie. Um, it she robs the place on Mother's Day, hence Mother's Day, and that's yeah. that. The reason of that is for more than just fun, interesting, good story elements versus it it actually um, holiday movies will always perform better than non-holiday movies, historically in film. Yes. Yeah. Um, It was the inspiration for kind of the title. Yeah. So it, from a financial standpoint, you still have- But you're playing on it a little bit. Yeah. So it's Mother's Day. You release it on Mother's Day. It's for moms. It's not some- BS, you know, formulaic story. It's got all the originality you need, and not, it's fun. Not and, a paint by numbers kind of a thing, yeah. just to make money, right? I but mean. it, it's got all the tools to be a really successful film. It's been utterly challenging and frustrating, depressing, raising money um, for it. And I have to say, I. I know that there are 
issues within the industry with getting a woman lead film backed. Um, I do know that the movie Sicario was written by Tyler Sheridan, who's a great writer. I love Tyler Sheridan. And he wrote a female lead in the studio told Dennis Villanueva, like, we don't see this being successful. We want it to be a male lead. And they said, no, no. And they stuck to their guns. And that movie without Emily Blunt is nothing. No. I mean, granted, you have, you know, Brolin and Benicio, who, you know, all hail, obviously. But without that lead of her, I'm sorry, that movie doesn't even come close to scratching success without Emily Blunt. Yeah, speaking of... Taylor Sheridan, I've been screaming for years that Wind River is one of the best films of the, yeah. last, of the decade. It's one of the best written films yes. of the last decade of just the awkwardness. And you believe the, you know, they send an FBI agent who's out of her element just because they don't give a crap about the reservation. Right. Or they don't give a crap about a girl being out in the woods dead. Right. And you have a, all this element. But if you if you go back just for a writer's perspective, Wind River, it is well written dialogue wise and And it builds extremely well and there's that right before the door the yes it reverses and flashes back and gives you context in it not only does it give you context but he was able to morph the story where it gave you context understanding and clarity while simultaneously raising the stakes yeah and it did it really subtly, and it starts out all nice and cute, and then it just gets really dark and disgusting, and like just for those few moments. Yeah, and yeah. it's just like it really yeah. is just like. But it's a, very fascinating. Yeah, in the ending, and it's a that wonderful is ending. Very, and you know, Jeremy Renner kills it, and as they are looking out of the playground, you have a Native American and this kind of cowboy guy. Yeah. They pass the background playground and sit and watch traffic, and yep. it's set up like we're dumb kids playing cowboys and Indians, and now we're going to have to deal with reality as they watch traffic go by. It's almost like we're trying through this process to say the lifestyle of kids playing cowboys and Indians and have this interpretation that let's deal with reality, let's pass beyond this, mm-hmm. and ex- instead of just treating everybody like crap. Right. And they do it visually. They don't say any words. Right. Yeah, he, because um, it's the, um, I forgot that actor's name. He's in um, Yellowstone, too. Oh, my God. He's yes. in Wind River. And yeah. he's sitting there because, I mean, his daughter was. Yeah, but he's murdered. this funeral face that he puts on, but he yep, doesn't know how the, to do it because nobody's alive to tell him how to yeah, do his, it. Yeah, um, his death mask. Yeah, yeah Sacramento, or um, I forgot what it was. His, his, um, God, <laughs> trying to blank his. Death mask, right? Yeah, his his culture's way of dressing up and everything, and he it, it's it's a good scene because it's it's really sad, but Tyler makes it to ha- where he is able to find some slight humor where it lo- allows that scene to yeah. breathe because it is yeah. he's just sitting there by himself, and it's really awkward. You don't yeah. think that setting would work. Right. right, and the way they shoot it, and they him and Jeremy perform that scene, and he's his his face is painted, and he's just kind of like he even kind of jokes about it himself. Like, right, I was gonna sit in here and yeah. let's go back and get this junk off my face, so it lightens up a little bit of the tension. Yeah, and yeah. it it it's sometimes you kind of have to if 
hard drama has to have humor to mm -hmm. loosen up that faucet to let the audience breathe and like you oh, know just right. like it's some levity is the trick to having good drama i think the movie um manchester by the sea excellent movie probably yeah. perfected that um of it's really sad, but it's also very. There are scenes. There are some funny. There chuckles. Very yeah, funny. Peppered in there scenes. Yeah, and yeah. he, Casey Affleck's character has bad cuts on his wrist because he punched a window, and he and he goes, "What happened to your wrist?" He goes, "Well, I cut." He goes, "Oh, I really thought something bad happened to you, or something like that." It's yeah. just super dry and and funny and. Then Casey's kind of an awkward character and that girl's trying to coerce him or flirt and he's just not having it. And yeah, the mom has to go to the daughter to be <laughs> like, he's not doing anything. Like this isn't, it's like the the, the role reversal there where the daughter's. Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, so yeah. I, that was good. But I think that, um, I forgot who wrote that. I forgot his name. Well, with comedy. Are you aware of it when you're writing like Mother's Day? It's like, all right, the beats for this. Maybe there's something we should put in here to kind of lighten the tension or um, do you just subconsciously invert it in there? Or is that is that's how you, your process works? I think it just comes to me. Okay. I call it when you'll have writer's block and like nothing is coming to me. And then if I can kind of do some things to put myself where all of a sudden it is just coming. Like it is the the it's all coming out of me and it's perfect like i yeah. you i know i don't have to go back and rewrite this this is fucking gold and it you're just quick and sometimes when i'm typing it comes to me and sometimes if i'm typing it and i gotta yeah. write and i don't know why but i would say two-thirds of mother's day was written on a notepad like long form handwritten script because for whatever reason that physical process it connected the creative process is just um it's connecting right yeah the yeah. the connective tissue of story imagination creativity and originality and solid storytelling is all coming together at one and i call that imperial mode when it's there like you're <laughs> I like the, that yeah. you're at the perfect high you're at the perfect moment and it's just clicking but it's rare it doesn't happen all the time but when it does and it's a battle it writing a script is terrible it is not fun i don't i enjoy the challenge and other times i just want to pull my hair out like because i've read so many scripts I've, i still audition all the time and you get these scripts and you're like, are you kidding me? How the hell did you get the money? Like, I don't get it. Other than this is just like everything else. So it's so relatable. So it's, I, um, I have a, uh, I believe, I don't think they read them. I they really just don't. get pitched. Just listen to the sale pitch. It may look glance over for five pages. Yeah. And they don't really go digest into reading it. Because if you read a script that's 120 pages, that takes about, what, 30 minutes? If you're really concentrating in a cup of coffee mm -hmm. and you got 100 scripts in your hand. <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah. The, usually people don't even read the second act. Right. I try yeah. to make that the 
the most important shot in a film is the opening shot. And the most important part of the film is the intro in the beginning. So I made sure with Mother's Day that you're getting locked in immediately, immediately. And I had this whole opening monologue with Mother's Day that's basically in the same vein as Patton. Uh, Patton is a very unique film because it opens with this, this... Right, it's almost like the his speech behind the gigantic flag yeah. is substituted for an overture. Yep, it's like a, the dialogue. And Tarantino does this too. That dialogue is his overture. Yes, the beginning. It's not really beginning of the movie, but it's just kind of a yeah a dialogue overture. Yeah, yeah. yeah, in the in Patton, you immediately understand him. You get it. You're buckled in. You get this guy is this, and yeah. you know the he's, he's nuts. But yeah, yeah I'll, I'll you play. get it. <laughs> yeah. And he says, "No dumb bastard ever won a war dying for his country. He made the other dumb bastard <laughs> die for his country, and that's how you win the war." And it's quick, concise, interesting, direct dialogue and shortened senses that hooks you in and that's the trick and that's what francis ford coppola wrote that uh that script and that's what yeah. basically got paved a highway for you know we know the godfather but in that that you're just drawn out in. there right it's he's, there he's out there by this himself is it. Yep. here we are in that formula works better now because you're competing with the phone in someone's pocket um you know if they're not dialed into the beginning, they're going to go to their phone. They're going to check their Instagram, their email. No one goes to a theater and actually turns off their phone half the time. Um, you know, they get a buzz and oh, someone matched on some dating app. And it's like, you know, I didn't write my right. movie for you to screw around on your phone. You put it down. But having said that, it's not my fault they do that, but it's my responsibility to make sure you write a story yeah that they cannot look at their phone. So The great, um, one of my favorite uh, film directors and writers, Samuel Fuller, um, and he was a pulp writer too, but he worked for MGM for many years. So he got a lot of green light for a lot of the pulp um, scripts. <laughs> it's inappropriate for me, but he, he said, if the first page of your script doesn't give you a hard on, throw it in the trash. Right, yeah. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. And it's, yeah. it's got to be right there. And I know... Another movie that well he uh, if I can eat um I can't remember the, remember the movie I think it's Naked Kiss okay the beginning of the movie is just a woman with a knife like it's shot from like her neck up so it's really in your face uh-huh. and she's trying to murder whoever is from your point of view murder the person and she's beating the camera and over there and you got this jazz music playing you're like what the hell yeah. and you're dodging the camera punches and it's and then you realize she was a prostitute. And the guy is doing what she doesn't want to do, and she's beating the crap out of him. From the beginning point of view, it's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. This is how you start in a movie? Like, can I get a breath? But like you said, you got to give it a punch. Yeah. A couple pages in, and you got to do it. And I know, I didn't realize it at the time, but um, the movie, um, The Patriot, Mel Gibson, in the beginning of the movie, if you watch it, it's the perfect beginning to a movie because you see a him opening this chest and putting away this hatchet, a horn and a gun with the voiceover saying, I have long feared my sins would return to visit me and the cost is more than I can bear. And he puts the weapons away, closes the chest with that monologue. And here we go. So, you know, 
He's right. done some things. He's bad. I love it. But yeah, you know, we'll see what happens. And that, and it has, you know, that very ominous horn with the monologue, which is just so perfect. And Mel Gibson's got that. Uh, nice, I haven't seen that movie in a long time. Yeah, yeah. If you watch just the beginning, it's locked in. It's perfect. And Robert, it's called the, yeah the. Ah, uh, the same guy who wrote, wrote, wrote that or yeah, Robert wrote yeah, something. He, Gosh, he wrote the Patriot, and he also wrote. Ryan. Yep, saving Forever Ryan. Yeah, wonderful. All right, uh, we got to take a short break, and we'll be back in a short while. Hey, welcome to the last comic shop podcast, a comic book podcast that actually talks about comics. Yep, each week we open the shop up and read and discuss a comic. Sometimes we pair that up with comic book movies or TV shows, or not. Lots of times, it's just comic books. And sound effects. Oh, yes. Definitely lots of sound effects. So tune in on all the major podcasting platforms to the Last Comic Shop Podcast. Or check out our library of evergreen shows at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. Welcome back. And now more with the show. All right, we're back with Josh, and you know we're, we're like talking about a lot of writing and film and everything. And I just want to dig a little bit deeper into your process because you talk yeah. about you have a little bit of more obstacles when you write than a lot mm-hmm. of other people. Are you more comfortable doing it at night? Do you do it during the day? Do you have a set routine for that? Do you set aside like, okay, this is my time to go write and you shut down? Or you just kind of fit it into anywhere you can? Um, of- it's a good question. So this sounds Generally, when the it's night, that's when it really like from nine to eleven. I don't know why at night. That's there's those two hours where if I can get into that imperial mode, yeah, I can really, which I still love. You call that, yeah, which I can really, um, extremely satisfied and happy with what I've written. Where I've written stuff. Um, and then you go back and you don't like it, but that, that time I've tried to do it in the morning, you wake up in the morning, get some coffee and then whatever stimulant you want to take and just, or something that stimulates you, but also keeps you, your mind and body at least like calm, but still percolated. I've been able to do that a few times. Um, other times when I was still working at US Bank, um, it was super slow and I'm like, Well, I'm I'm getting paid to write. Fuck this. I'm just yeah. I wrote that's why I wrote it by hand is in being in that cubicle work environment where everyone around you is in a very cohesive, right, diligent yeah. working environment and somehow I'm in there and although I'm not doing bank work, there's nothing to do or I I didn't get my race, so it's like screw you guys. I'm going to write a script on the clock, which I did. Um, I well, I wrote the green way, just poured it out without index cards, just what I want on a legal pad. Mm-hmm. When I was working at a factory, nice. It was kind of like when I was doing like the slow episode, and then once I was on a legal pad, then I had just notepad, no index cards. 
Okay. And it's amazing how people will leave you alone in the hallway, especially in a factory, if you're just writing on an index card because you look like right. He <laughs> looks busy. It's slight. Yeah, yeah, it's very. It's not a very well then grandiose people, <laughs> thing, and it's it's a okay to confess now. Yeah. I've been out of that for ten years, but especially when you work maintenance and you got an index cards in your pocket and everything, and you pull out writing, and then playing like, "What are you doing?" And I was like, "Well, this is a safety thing. I got to write this down." Right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's good. So this is yeah. We got to got to check this. So I just want to write down my notes and everything. So you could kind of mask it, as long as you look busy. Yeah, in a factory, if you walk into the hallway with something in your hand, people leave you alone. Yeah, yeah. With the tool, or you walk with a mission. It's not too fast, not too slow. If you get the right speed. Can you tell I've worked at a factory before? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then your floor manager would kind of leave you alone. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting, like being at work. Something about that Just calms your brain. <laughs> yeah, and psychologically, you're going to work, and you're you know, you're going to be in a. It's a productive environment where it's expected of you. Yeah. But because you're already in that, you know, status of mind. Well, yeah. You can write. And get it now, ha- having said that, the stuff I wrote at night in that, especially like if it's a clear night and the moon is out, I don't know why, but I see a full moon. I just get like this crazy <laughs> energy. It affects you, huh? Yeah, I, I do. Like I, I get like a wild coyote type of energy Good. when a full moon or it's a beautiful night and I can write. Um, when I was at writing at work, despite being in that, productive yeah some of that stuff i cut out it just wasn't there but when i at night it's generally at night when i write yeah you and i kind of the same we like to experience the day first yep then we can kind of relax our brain and then we can go back to yep it's almost like a flush just experience the day see things and then yeah i don't know how people do it in the morning yeah i hold a cup of coffee out and just with the sunshine and then start cracking it out so at my older house in saint paul we lived in a me I lived in a duplex and it was um it had a three seasons or like a porch three seasons porch sure and we called it the tree house cuz it was on the second level and it was high and it was kind of a big rectangle and we had couches oh, and so chairs oh so okay, I get it now yeah the kind was, of du- duplex yeah yep and it's one of those older homes in St. Paul's probably built like 80 75 years ago or something almost 100 but there was trees, and they would right there, so it felt like you were in a treehouse. So I called it a treehouse, and <laughs> I love it. Being in like nature helped to just calm me and stay in a creative thought process, and just to kind of let it open up my mind. And the this is the craziest thing. So this is what really helped get Mother's Day to be a great script. Okay, and my friend. Just goes out to Matt Cannon. Um, he went on this thing where they call it forest bathing, and you hug trees, and it it helps to call. It's like yoga if you've ever done yoga. It has that I same done it yet. Okay, it's that same principle where you just feel a weight off your chest, like you just feel lighter and better. So what I would do is, I I would literally just like take walks in the forest, do that mini haha. Yeah. And just, this sounds crazy, but you'd hug a tree and just exhale and just think about the script and keep kind of walking and thinking about the script, listening to music. I like this. Um, And then you would just keep hugging these really trees and just make sure there's not like no poison ivy because that happened once. I got 
poison <laughs> ivy on my ankles. Sorry. I got shit. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. And um, when you hug that tree, it's they say it's like hugging yourself, which I know sounds ridiculous and cheesy, but there was I've done all these walks. I've gone to the Unleashed Dog Park in Minnehaha, which is this massive, beautiful forest sanctuary on the Mississippi. Cool. That very few people know about. It's actually probably the most local scenic forest I've ever seen. It's it's insane. It's beautiful, and there's those massive eastern cottonwood trees. So you go there, and you're in to be to be truly like creatively high. You have to be outside, and I would hug these trees, and I would just think about the story and the character, and like all of a sudden these. ideas and it was like magic lightning it was like the creative gods threw a lightning bolt into my like writing antenna and it just stimulated it all and i'd be like on my phone writing it like the the dialogue i'm like oh that's a great line that's a bar and then like you got to write this and it just kept going and going like i would on my phone would write like five pages of a script in like a two-hour walk but I, five pages isn't necessarily a lot, but I knew yeah. those five pages were gold. And, and where are you, yeah, where are you going to go with it? Too? Yeah, yeah, and it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to go here and there, and it was, it was just, it's insane. And um, I have to agree. You have, to, you have to find some, especially if you want to be a writer, you have to find somewhere to get a kind of a release to where it stimulates you. Yeah. Even if it sounds ridiculous for you or not, but if it works for you. And then you have to find some kind of like a workstation. Mm-hmm. We talked about you have to Treehouse. Treehouse. Um, and we're rented, rented an office space. And mm-hmm. he would go there, you know, from eight to five, almost like it's a job. It yep. really was. Yep. And go work. Yep. And then come home at five o'clock and then start a day over and over again. And then, you know, this situation I have down in my studios, but it's, it's, you need something, I think, away from home mm-hmm. to get your writing done. Because yep. when you're at home, you're you're thinking about other things. Hey, I got to do the laundry. I got to do this and other stuff. And somebody's got to rake the leaves. But you have somewhere else, like a destination, then you know you are working. Yeah, clean air out yeah. in the woods, out in nature. And I, I also remember later, not too much later, he, Robert Redford gave an interview on what generated um, his desire to make the Sundance Film Festival and he was a lot, not a lot like me. He was similar concept frame right. of mind. It was like, really? It was just about getting these artists and filmmakers out into the forest and the mountains and writing and working and seeing what that would do for them. And I think um, it. he was right. Like being out in the woods is... It kind of sounds weird. It does. It's yeah. like kind of like... But when you're out there and you're thinking... And it, the thoughts just become the, the creative writing and, and your, the characters just really take off in your mind. And you just write it down. It's like, it's just yeah. like magic. It's insane. If I could just share with you and my audience, yeah. as I was researching for our YouTube channel, Kyle Make on Film, we were critiquing Thief from Michael Mann. Yep. And it's really fascinating how he came up with the story because he's working on another script for a convicted um, person mm-hmm. starring Dustin Hoffman and his scripts kept getting rejected about this guy that's in prison and then finally he says you know what I'm just going to go to a prison and just talk to these guys and from that process of like who wants who's available to talk to me he just found anybody yeah. that's in jail and he talked to them and he talked to a bunch of them 30 people and from that process he was able to master a script for Thief 
as well as for the movie Heat. Mm-hmm. He got an interview on people like this codes and how you get break into safes and all the stuff that he read. And what's interesting about that, that's not his environment. No. He went on another place to talk to other people to get this writing done. He's not a thief in real life, but he no. actually talked to these people right. how they do it. Yeah, and then, yeah. then he, I remember he gave an interview or uh, I listened to a podcast where he and James Kahn learned, literally learned how to like crack safes and drill them and break them. Yeah. And they really just dove into that, um, like a vat of criminality and it makes it authentic like yeah. you have to craft this special tool which mm-hmm. they actually talked about they did the, the guy that he interviewed in the prison actually had to yeah, manufacture his own tool to get these safes and everything and he goes it's the best high in the world and he yep. showed James Conn breaking the, 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 yep. the crack the safe and he's just out there smoking and enjoying it but yeah it's if you're stuck writing your writer's block you have to get out of your element of safety. Mm-hmm. Talk to people that you won't generally talk to. You probably get some ideas. Yeah, talk yeah. to a homeless person. Talk right. to a drug addict. I don't know. There's all those. Take public. That's how Pretty Woman got started. The guy had writer's block, and he sat at a coffee shop, and he's like, "Well, what are you doing?" She goes, "I'm a prostitute," and she spelled out her guts. Yeah. She goes, really? I got this guy once a month. He sends me to Vegas. I got my own hotel. I'm a princess for like once a month. But then I'm out here living the trash. He's like, I got an idea for yeah. a story. And then I, I heard the original script of Pretty Woman was a lot. It's a lot less drab. A lot yeah. darker. A lot and, darker. I mean, even in Pretty Woman, his, his her girlfriend commits suicide. Yeah. yeah. And I heard the original. They don't end up together. It's a lot. It's way less Hollywood happy. Right. And if you... If you look at Pretty Woman now, it's a gloss. It is, it's kind of a romanticized, almost yeah. sorry, Disney-ish princess rags to riches type of thing. Yeah, and it. But I, I had a friend from film school. She said I read the original script and it was not as no. It's real. There's happy. Really, it's very dread. It's very a lot of dreaded. Yeah, it. yeah. But I. And but back to Thief. Um, when we were talking about like the opening of everything, the opening of Thief is effective is because there is no dialogue and you have that great uh, soundtrack from Tangerine Dream. Yeah, the soundtrack works. Yep. The camera works. Oh, Wonderful yeah. because it, it starts up looking up, and but then down. you go into the city and then throughout the whole movie, the camera never looks up again. It's almost like you're stuck in, in this world. Yeah. Even the car scenes, it's looking down on the car mm-hmm. you'll never ever look up again at throughout the rest of the movie yeah he michael man knows he's well yeah he's, he's he's the best yeah yeah but i think he doesn't get appreciative as what he does for writing because he's so stylized for a film he is he's yeah. hyper stylized there's um a really good it's called the nerd writer on um he has a channel on youtube he hasn't done anything in a while but he has a video essay on uh, the movie Heat and Michael Mann, where it's the perfect blend of style and realism. Yeah, and it's it is like it's Heat is a very stylized film, and it's the it is the perfect blend of like that edgy, cool Hollywood style, yeah. but still real and believable and fun. And it's fascinating to yeah. learn that that whole dinner scene was not rehearsed right i think it was robert was it al or robert said let's not rehearse it let's just do it yeah that way it's raw 
And then Michael Mann talked about it. He goes, we didn't even rehearse the extras. Just let them do their thing. Let them do their thing. And the extras like, what do you want me to do? It was like, just move around. Just do, just be, yeah. Pantomime, actual action. And then actually, like, people were like, they know what they're doing. So they, like, they dropped something. And that's part of the aesthetic. Yeah. Right. Which makes it a little more, a little more organic. Right. You don't, yeah. yeah, it creates the atmosphere around you is real. Right. So it just, I don't want to say it tricks your mind, but it allows your frame of mind to just, you get yeah. out of your... The anxiety wears off. Yeah. The, the the fact that there's a camera right here. <laughs> I know. That's right so... in your face. <laughs> and that there's this big white light box here. Because all that is yeah. a, a real <clears throat> environment, your performance can only be more organic due to that. So, yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating to learn sometimes the process of making films mm-hmm. I, and how to do it. Rehearsing. Yeah. You know, for Danny's game, we never really rehearsed ever. Well, is it true because you just didn't really, really have the time? I mean, were you kind of because um, it's an independent film? It was. So here's basically what had happened: is I wrote the script, and Bill Cooper was a massive help. And shout out to Bill Cooper and uh, also Jaden Stia. And he the the. People in the film had worked with Bill in acting class. And not only that, I had met them in acting class or I had helped subbed in his class. So I'd met these and they're like, I think that's him. So I and I sent them the script. So we actually did a Kickstarter campaign and that didn't work out. And then we had to do Indiegogo. And then that worked enough to get enough money just to shoot it, just for principal photography and then the rest was personal out of pocket for everything else. But so they had had, we did a, a reading in 2017, but we didn't, we wouldn't shoot it for another year in that summer. So the cast members for at least for well over a year, they knew the story and they got it. Like, good. You know, yeah, like nice. all of them, like Ava, uh, Brent, Megan, Mike. Um, I forgot. Um, his I'm drawing a blank on it. They all, like, they got it. Like, and when I mean they got it, like, they got and comprehended the character and how their performance to the character transcended the story and was a pillar of the story. Yeah. And um, so they had already known. They got it. They understood the vibe. The energy so we didn't have to re- rehearse i mean bill in some scenes we only did like three or four takes and and like it's like there were some days that were like 14 hour days and there were some where we were done we finished the day early which is right, insane nice. it was just yeah. like but because the all the actors knew their lines and they knew how their part served the story and because they were great actors and they knew that that's what really made the film work. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Did you didn't do storyboards with it, did you? Nope. No. Um, Judd and Kelso kind of did a few, but the things with storyboards on an independent film, if you're shooting inside, it's probably more effective because you can control the lighting. But when you're outside and your yeah. storyboard, it's like, well, the... 
there's clouds or there's the sun is too harsh. So <laughs> some of it we shot on the fly, but that's kind of how um, Judd and Kelso were. Like Judd, his aesthetic is kind of shooting from the hip and not manufacturing the magic, just yeah, allowing more. the scene to breathe and like, that's it. Or, yeah, let's get the camera here. So that's kind of how he's built his... Um, style i'm sure he could elaborate on it more but he kind of in the same vein as kind of like terrence malick like we're not gonna we're just gonna go out there and shoot and kind of just let it be still for a minute yeah and let it breathe and like let's not force it let's see what you bring to the table and see how we all can get the chemistry and magic together luckily for us we were pretty effective and it worked looking back we always do it. I directed my film. There's like ten things I wish I'd had done. Right, yeah. and yeah. looking back, it everything went pretty well. I mean, for the the, the amount of limited money. But um, I always say on my sets, um, long as we're having fun and everybody's safe, then we'll, everything is everything else is kind of out of our hands. Yeah, you know, we'll try our best. We'll try through editing. Maybe think of well, how we can make it better. Mm-hmm. Nobody intentionally makes goes out and makes a horrible film. No, we just try to do our best. And is this? Then you go back and like, God, I wish I did this. <laughs> Everybody does right? that. Yeah, I mean, for God's sakes, Jimmy Page, like, there's 20 mistakes in Led Zeppelin Four, and I wish you all could hear them. Right? <laughs> we don't. Or care. continuity errors, even yeah. in. There's a movie called Bullet with Steve McQueen from '68 that was nominated yeah. for an Academy Award for editing. Yet. And you can go on YouTube and watch this, everyone. It is one of the worst continuity errors in probably American cinema where Steve McQueen's character in Highland Green uh, Mustang Fastback passes a Volkswagen Beetle bug like three times (laughs) in San Francisco going down a hill. He passes it two or three times. So it's... Yet it got. Yeah. This is an Academy Award nominated film with a massive continuity editing error. So it. Yeah. It we all have is, our plot holes. Right. You'll, if you're going to judge a script on plot holes, well. Right. And I know, guess the the we all got the horse and the Godfather is like the uh, it's a different shade of the horse head is different from the original horse. The I think it's like a brown to a black horse. I mean, fact check me. I could be wrong, but there's some. Just hailed as the god of film, yet it has these just like blatant, like good god errors. <laughs> yeah, well, I never think about it. Right. right. Well, Joshua, thanks, man, for coming. Yeah, I really appreciate talking about writing, and hopefully, we kind of revigorate some people to get through their writing process as well as get you back to writing as well. Yeah, yeah, it's good to talk with you. I love talking to other writers, get your viewpoints and processes for sure. Thanks again. Um, once again, let's tell everybody how they can find Gangs Game legitimately. <laughs> I believe it's on Freebie and Amazon Prime. Um, any of those platforms that allow a purchase or a rental, I'm yeah. very certain it's on. And then you're kind of still in pre-production for Mother's Day. Yeah. Um, it's completed script. It's all set. Just need a angel investor to... Come through yeah. and green Just kind of a lister start attached to it. That everybody, yeah, yeah, yeah. So thank you again, Joshua. And it's not over till the uh, the guest says it's over. It's over. Ah, there we go.